Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's Scout Fantasy Sports. All right. It's Dr. Roto. Get out the insurance cards. Get out the copay. The office is open, my friends. Adam Ronas and I are back with you. It's been a lot of fantasy baseball this weekend, drafts. And uh, Ronas, you're a very busy person this weekend. Yeah, it was a long weekend. Definitely feeling it today. Very tired. Uh, Friday, I was facilitating the ultimate draft, which is a $5,000 buy-in. Actually, Sean Childs was there. He wasn't in the draft, but I saw him. He was standing around for a little bit. Uh, I know he drafted in a main event on Saturday, and he's going to Vegas. I think he actually might be there today or tomorrow. Uh, then Saturday was broadcasting the AL Tout Wars draft. Uh, then went out, was actually... Hanging out with uh, Lenny Melnick, Andrea Lamont, Craig Mish, and Brad Ziegler. We went out to dinner. Oh, oh where'd you guys go? I went to a steakhouse uh, somewhere in Midtown. Not Peter Luger's. No, it wasn't Peter Luger's. Because oh, Lenny didn't want to go to Brooklyn? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Come on, Lenny. Where'd you guys go? Do you remember that other place? Uh, somewhere in, uh, I forgot the name of the place. It's in a hotel on 34th and 8th, right by the garden. Uh, was that any good? Yeah, it was very good. So, oh, good. had okay. a good time. You know, Brad Ziegler uh, told some interesting stories of uh, some things that happened in baseball. So I missed that. I, you know, I was supposed to do the uh, telecast with Ziegler. I really wanted to meet him. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. Is he a uh, good guy? Yeah, and he's big into fantasy, really fantasy football. He yeah, he's to, friends with the, the guru. Yeah, he, he really wants to get into uh, doing fantasy football broadcasting. And, you know, he was saying how he never really knew about baseball stats because – they don't really pay attention. I'm like, you don't even see him on the scoreboard? He's like, no, in the dugout from Miami, the scoreboard, you can't see it. So, you know, he said he was really diving in over the last several weeks, kind of looking at numbers because uh, he actually told a real funny story. He said he played fantasy baseball, and the first time up, uh, he was on the mound facing Edgar Renneria. And he stopped for a second and said, oh, my God, he's on my fantasy team. He went home. <laughs> he went home, and he's like, I had to quit. I couldn't play no more because he was right, thinking about it hit. too much. Yeah. So, I so, yeah, he definitely had some good stories. So it was a good time. And then Sunday had the uh, auction, NFBC auction, and uh, several of the guys who were in the ultimate draft on Friday were in my league. Uh, um uh, Matt Bodico was in the league. Andy Saxton was in the league. So a lot of people that I knew. Uh, and it was a, and Corey Parson was the auctioneer, so it was a good time. It was a long weekend, uh, but always fun. Uh, as you know, we do it in Vegas for the Fantasy Football World Championships. Pretty similar, so it's always great to see people in person, hang out. Uh, you know, was hanging out with Nano Defino, Jake Seeley, Chris List. We went out, so hanging out with a different group all the time, interacting with a lot of the no, high state players. And you didn't go to Foley's, right? I did not because that was Friday night, and uh, Friday night was the ultimate, and that started at 8. We were done about 11.30, 11.45, so then I went out with those guys to eat. You know, it's funny. Our experiences were absolutely different because I was home because of my, my, my the stress factor in my foot. I didn't go up to New York, and literally doing a, um, an auction on the phone 
Very hard, Ronas. Very hard. So first of all, my friend was doing it for me, and I appreciate it. The second year in a row, he had, he had to bail me out. And what was happening was he would ask me about a player, and he was like, you know, for example, let's say Gary Sanchez, how much? Well, by the time I texted him, he go, is he already sold? I'm like, you're killing me, right? Because I would say I want him at 16. And he goes, oh, he went for 14, or he went for 18, and I didn't. I felt like I didn't have a chance to do anything. So finally, I decided to call him about halfway through the draft. And I said, I know this is annoying, but I need to be on the phone with you because I can't do it any other way because I just felt like I, was like, I wasn't able to chime in when I wanted players. So for the last half of the draft, I did it on the phone and I would just tell him you know, to bid on guys, which I felt badly because I didn't want to take away the autonomy from him. But at the same time, I felt like I wanted to be part of it. Well, did you give him a, a game plan going in? Yeah, no, we had a game plan. He's a very good player. We've known each other for, man, since 1992. So he, we, he's one of the top baseball guys I know. So we, we had a plan, but the difference is you never know somebody else's plan like your own. So there are certain times where I was like, get this guy. And he got it. And then certain times, like, get this guy, and he paid too much for him. Because I know when I would have stopped, but he didn't. And then sometimes he didn't go enough when I would have. So it's, it's, you know, nobody ever drafts like you would do your own team. Oh, yeah, that's true, especially in an auction. You know, no matter how much you think you will agree with someone, there's always going to be a different perspective and a few players you disagree on and pricing and when to go up and yeah. when to stop. This, you know, so this draft, I said, I wanted Real Mudo and Rizzo. Get them. And at 30, Rizzo was he is going once, going twice, sold, and I, he wasn't on my team. I'm like, I told you to get him. And then I end up having to pay 34 for Goldschmidt. Not that I don't I like Goldschmidt more, but I knew I could get Rizzo at a discount. So it's just something that I would have done that he didn't. And I'm, there's no blame. I mean, look, I couldn't be there. I appreciate the guy. I mean, the guy gave five hours of his time to sit for me. So, I mean, I appreciate that greatly. I can, you know, but it's, not, it's never the same. Oh, no, it's definitely not. And, you know, being there live for an auction is great. Uh, it's uh, one of the best experiences and you know everyone should get the chance to do it I know sometimes people still do auctions online my home league we're doing our auction online on Sunday but always good to do one in person I was able to do one Thursday night as well with a lot of people in the industry work Wolf Glenn Colton Tim Heaney uh, Nando DeFino uh, Joe Pisapia no was Pisapia yeah he yeah, Pisapia was in mine on Friday too and Ian Khan was in mine on Friday Ian Khan was in mine too uh, we basically it was so funny because we kind of had this I walk in and I'm like oh so this is the same setup as last year they're like yep it worked last year for all of us so I had Heaney to my right Ian Khan to my left and uh, same thing kind of bidding on similar players and so, say, so say, go ahead and saying oh good bargain nice Nice buy. So, yeah, that was fun, too. Do you have um, the Tout Wars head-to-head uh, stuff up? Yeah. Although I've heard, I heard the scoring system is really crazy because I saw crazy. Jake, and he was telling me that Josh Bell and Max Scherzer had the same amount of points last year. Yeah, it's crazy. So Peter Kreutzer changed the stats, and he devalued pitching such that a starter was probably worth 120 points at the year's end. So if you didn't catch it, you would probably have overpaid. So Jake actually had probably one of the better strategies because unless you had one of the top eight pitchers, they all kind of sucked. So the other, the, actually the surprising thing was if you did the numbers, the best pitchers were relievers. Relievers were worth more than starters. So if you look at the numbers, why did I go in on some relievers very heavily? Because the, the numbers dictated it. Uh, Edwin Diaz was like the third-ranked pitcher on the whole board. Crazy, right? 
Well, that's also because he had 57 saves last year, which I don't think you can account for this year. No, no. I'm just saying if you project him this year at a normal projection, he projected very high. So it was just one of those strange, strange drafts that some people, I think, understood the new point system. Some didn't. And, you know, it's crazy. But I want to look at Ian Khan's team for a second because I know you said he's a good player. But I want to ask you, Kershaw 13, Darvish at 5, Heaney at 2. He's got a lot of injury risk there. Now, I know he didn't pay a lot for them. I mean, you're talking about $20 for three guys there, but would you have, done, would you have taken a risky team like that? Uh, I did a little bit in the auction draft uh, NFBC, so I, I think you can uh, for sure. Uh, I also got, got Heaney at 2. It came up late, and I think Modica threw him out at 1. And I said two, and he afterwards he was like, "Oh, I didn't think anyone would say two. I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna take a shot." He had the same elbow inflammation last year at the beginning of the year. He came back from it and wound up throwing 180 innings. So maybe this is something that pops up, and they're able to manage it. I think he started throwing already, so I don't mind that. Darvish is a guy who burned me last year, and I think going into this year. The first couple months, I'm like, I'm staying away. But that is the wrong mindset to have, you know, and I'm never that type. But he really did burn me last year because he was the guy I paid up for. And I felt like not having him, even the final month where I was in first place in September and then faded, you know, having uh, even Darvish, if he would have came back for four or five starts, could have been beneficial. But this is a guy that just two years ago when he went over to the Dodgers was really good. And he just was never healthy last year. He is throwing 95 in the spring. So I haven't landed him yet, but I'm open to taking him. And it's only five bucks. And, you know, he easily can give you innings and strikeouts. And as far as Kershaw, I haven't taken him, but 13 bucks is, is a discount. And if you get 150, 160 innings, it could work. I mean, it is a mixed league, so you're going to find guys on the waiver wire. I think he, it looks like he took Aaron Sanchez in the reserve round, who's had a great spring. Uh, Luke Weaver, another guy I took. Um, so if Freddie Peralta actually, damn, I, he had of his four, uh, three, three of his pitches in reserve. I have on my NFBC auction. So, uh, I don't mind it. I think sometimes you don't want to do it on the same team, but I think there comes a point where you go, you know what? These prices are just too cheap and I'll take a shot because yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the $2 pitchers are going to bust anyway. So I'd rather take a shot with a guy who might be a little banged up that had did produce last year and maybe is healthy in two weeks. As he was doing it, I said, high risk, high reward. If it works out, he can win this league. If it doesn't, he's going to lose this league. But I guess you play to win, right? You play for first place, and you take, and you take risk. But I want to look at Jake's team as well. He spent $206 on hitting and 48 on pitching. Is that something you'd ever do in a draft? Well, it's based on the rules. Uh, you know, I didn't look at the rules in depth. I'm just going what people were telling me. So if that's what the rules dictate and say, then yeah, I'd probably go that route because it seems like they tried to go the opposite of last year where I think there was a, I think it was Justin Mason who went very heavy on pitching, spent a lot, and he did it based on the scoring format. So I guess they wanted to change that, and I guess they went too far in the opposite direction now. So let's see what they do next year. But yeah, the, it seems like the scoring system wasn't set up properly, that it was skewed heavily in one direction both years. And that's not what you want. You need to try and have balance where you make I think, the hitters. I think Peter was trying to have balance because the pitching was so outlandish last year that he tried to re, re, rein it in. But when he tried to rein it in, I mean, you can't have a pitcher. The difference between Chris Archer and Robbie Ray was like two points. 
I mean, so a, a hitter, a crappy hitter was worth 380 points and a pitcher is worth 120. Yeah, you can't have it like that. It's just too imbalanced. So, and you, you see it where a couple teams saw that and drafted accordingly. How do you, why do you want to have a draft like that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what this does. You know, I know Paul Spore, I didn't even notice it was 233 to 27. He went crazy. He went 90 10. Yeah, he, he saw the rules and he said, you know what? It's not worth it. And, you know, you try and find the cheap pitchers that are going to outproduce their value. You know, the Blake Snells, Mike Clevengers from last year. You try to find those guys in this format that this, this year. And if you find even one of them in this format from your cheap pitching and your bats come through that you spend on, it could work. I mean, he got Trout, Judge, Ben Attendee. I mean, and Hicks. I know Hicks is not healthy right now, but, it, you know, he's on a base guy that walks, that plays in a head-to-head format, and Reese Hoskins and Votto. Yeah. Well, I, well so the strategy the same thing. Well, the strategy is you get two points if you win the hitting, two points if you win the pitching, and two points if you win the overall week. So, I mean, Spore is probably thinking, I'll win four points every week. And if I win four points, if I go four and two every week, I should win at the end of 22 weeks. Right. And if you also, you know, discover those pitching uh, guys. Along the way. And I like uh, several of the guys he took, you know, a guy like Peacock, who's going to start the year with the, in the rotation, and we've seen he's had success as a starter before, and the Astros do a really good job. Ross Stripling, who I like, I got him in the Thursday auction. I think he's going to find a way to 140, 150 innings. I love the skills. He was terrific last year. We already know Clayton Kershaw likely not going to start opening day, and we had, there's a lot of guys on that staff. We know Ryu is going to spend a, a stint or two on the DL. You maybe Kenta Maeda, Rich Hill. So I, people look at the Dodgers staff and they shy away from some of those guys. I go the opposite way. I was able to get Stripling and Maeda in my auction on Thursday. And, you know, most of those guys, I think, will throw 140, 150. They'll be able to spread it out. Uh, Lucchese is a guy who's working on a third pitch. If that third pitch works out and he can start to get right-handers out more consistently, you could see him take a step up. So that's what uh, the strategy was here for him. And, uh, could really work out if you can get a few of those pitchers to pan out. Yeah, and look, I, I, you you can win a, a fantasy baseball league in many different ways, right? With many different ideas, and I think that's that's the one thing I'll, I'd like to look back and see how this. Hopefully, we did a better job this year than last year because last year was ridiculous with the pitching. I mean, you had to have pitchers, otherwise you lost. This year, if it, if like you said, if it's a 180 and you have to have hitters or you're going to lose, it, 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 we've got to figure out a way to balance it. I just feel like there's so much tweaking around with the points, it becomes problematic. And, and I did enjoy the points league, Adam, way more than I thought I would. But isn't there like a, a consistent point strategy that we can just employ and we don't have to tweak it all this time? No, I think that's what's the problem is there's no universal scoring system for points leagues. You know, everything is different. And maybe that's what needs to be done is try and come up with a more universal scoring system. It would probably make it more popular and appealing, but it just seems like it's different across the board. You know, I played in two different points leagues. One was an AL only points and one was a mixed league points. And each scoring system was different. One was minus one for a strikeout. The other didn't penalize strikeouts. So I think that's the biggest problem is there's no universal scoring system for points leagues. It's different across the board, and I guess it can make it a little difficult to kind of help people out, discuss, and break it down. And this one just seems like it's way out there.
Yeah, I mean, this one is way out there. And like I said, I enjoyed the league way more than I thought I would. I never really like head-to-head leagues as a rule. And I don't love points leagues as a rule. But I did enjoy this format last year. So I'm willing to certainly give it another shot before I complain to Jeff Erickson or somebody and say, get me out of this league and get me to another league. But I, I mean, because I also feel like I came really close to winning it last year. I'd like to do that. But I just don't want to, I, I want to have one type of league and that way I can strategize for it every year I mean literally Peter was changing the rules on this a week before he was tweaking the numbers a week before the draft you can't do that Adam yeah I think a week before is a little too much unless like you're putting something up for vote and everyone kind of asks for it you know but the scoring system yeah I don't know about that I think you know it needs to be defined well ahead of time and I understand they're trying to you know, kind of create a model, and we don't really do much with points leagues in the industry, and it is seem it seems like a format that a lot of people do play in. So I understand having that format, but uh, it just feels like the scoring system is off here. I don't I don't even think people in their home leagues play in a scoring system like this. So I don't even know if they can relate to it. Right. And and I don't know. I know I can't relate to it. It's the truth. So but I mean, I only do it for this one league. So I guess I can understand it. But we'll see how it goes. And, and we'll see during the year. Because I mean, if the pitching scoring each week is going to be 50 points is the highest number, it's not worth it. But when we come back, we'll break down my draft a little bit my auction Did I overspend we'll discuss. And of course, we'll talk about this great, exciting March Madness contest that we have when we return with Scout Fantasy Sports right after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-215-1727. 800-215-1727. That's 800-215-1727. Rain dance! Make it rain. The Marquette-Murray State matchup, I think, is great because not only do you have the opportunity to see John ja Morant going at it, but Marcus Howard is also oh, no yeah. kid from Marquette. 25 points a game. These two guys going at it. Both of these guys can take over a game, and I think that's probably the best battle maybe of the first round in there is watching those two guys go at it. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. 
All right, we're back. Catch going for the green podcast each week on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network as the Daily Roto crew breaks down the upcoming PGA tournament from a fantasy perspective. Going for the green talks course history, PGA betting, one and done, fantasy picks, and much more. Separate yourself from the field and go for the green with Daily Roto this fantasy golf season on Audio Boom, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and on your favorite podcast provider. Now, I also want to tell you guys about this very cool game that we're doing at playffwc.com. That's playffwc.com. It's our March Madness draft. It's a draft, Ronas. Four teams in a league, right? And then you draft and you can, uh, the winner gets a, a free entry to an, uh, the online championship, which is a great value. Uh, you can win a free month of Scout Fantasy Sports. You get a free week of DFS membership at Scout DFS, or you get a free weekend pass of sports betting at VegasWhispers.com. Every, every round you win, you get a point. So round one is one point, round two is two points. But if you pick an upset, Ronis, you get some big points for the upsets too. Yeah, we know a lot of upsets do come in round one. So if you're able to find that upset, you can get some bonus points. And if that team ever made it pretty far and gets a couple more wins, then you're in good shape. So uh, it seems like this year there, there could be quite a few upsets. It seems like pretty even group of teams. I think the top eight teams are great, and everything after that, I don't even know what it could be. It could be the ugliest sheet of my life. Yeah, I think this feels like one of those years where it is going to be a lot of upsets early on. Yeah, so I'm drafting every night at 11 p.m. this week, Ronis. Today, tomorrow, and, and Wednesday, 11 p.m. Yeah, I'll be jumping in as well. I haven't gotten the times confirmed, but uh, I Don't jump in my league, well. Ronis. Don't jump in mine. All right, I think, did I do, is, are your leagues full? Uh, my Monday was full, and my Tuesday has two spots open, and my Wednesday has one spot open. Okay, because I think I, I did a. I think my Wednesday might have been. I think I asked for 10 p.m. Eastern. I think. Okay. Okay. And a, and also a slow draft. I asked to get into. Oh, you did? I didn't do that. So I, I have the first pick in tonight's draft, baby. I think I'm going Duke. Would you go Duke with number one? Probably. I mean, obviously they're the big favorite. I could see them losing though. Uh, they do not shoot well from three-point range. So they're terrible from three-point range. Yeah, that's their weakness. But obviously, Zion Williamson uh, having him back is huge, and and Barrett. So yeah, I think a lot of people are going to pick them. And if you do multiple brackets, I don't think you want to pick them in all of them because there is a, a shot they get knocked off. That is true. All right, we have a phone call, Ronus. It's Kevin from Missouri. What's up, Kevin? How are you? How are you guys doing? We're great. What's up? Okay, so I got some questions here on this bracket. Okay, so with, with Duke, of course, they're going to go to the Final Four. But I don't have them winning the uh, championship. But there's two deals on here, VCU and UCS. I, I think UCS would probably pull the upset on the VCU. But what do you all think about that one? I mean, look, I'm not a big VCU fan. I, I, those eight, nine games are very 50-50. And if you look at it over the course of like the last seven or eight years, Adam, I think they're actually break-even games. Like they're 500 each way. I, I mean, I have no problem if you want to pick a little upset there. You get credit for the upset, especially with in a lot of brackets that you're in. You want to go UCF? I think that's a good move, Kevin. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, that game I keep going back and forth on. And I think you do see that in a lot of the eight, nine games. So I think think I have UCF right now in my main one. And then after that, I have uh, LSU and Yale. That's going to be the big one right there. I looked at Yale's videos and stuff, and they kind of remind me of kind of like Arkansas when they played LSU. They have that momentum, and they want to score, you know, and they want to go up and down and do, you know, do what they got to do. But 
I just don't know if LSU – that Yale and LSU is the tough one. What do you think about that? It's a great question. So I actually I, – I picked Yale on one of my sheets, and I'm going to tell you why. I just don't like that LSU doesn't have their coach. I think they're in disarray, and that worries me. I think that they've been a mess since that all happened. Now, here's the problem. At the end of the day, LSU has better athletes than Yale does. I mean, they may not be smarter athletes, but they're better athletes. So LSU may win the game just on pure athleticism. But in terms of LSU going deep in this tournament, it is not happening. I think that team's a train wreck. So if you have them winning one game, don't have them go that deep in the tournament. I just don't think they're mentally there. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, that's my concern with them is the off-the-court stuff with their coach. And they might be able to survive it in round one, but I don't know about after that. Uh, I'll tell you, though, the, the upset I, one of the upsets I like in round one is UC Irvine. I think they beat yes. State. Yeah, I do, too. I think UC Irvine looked very good this weekend. And I'm going to give you one that maybe some people have, maybe some people don't, Adam. I like Liberty. I think Liberty's going to win that game. Yeah, I think so as well. I think I have them. Yeah. Any others, Kev? All right, thanks for calling. If you have any questions about uh, <laughs> about your NCAA tournament pool, we're happy to help you. We're pretty. We, did I? Were you? Did we do a show when I called FGC? You get into the uh, Sweet Sixteen a couple years ago on us. I don't know if I was with you then. Uh, I know I had Michigan in the final last year. Did you? That was a good yeah. one, Adam. Mm-hmm. I, it, I won something in some contest. I don't remember what it was, but yeah. Um, and but I, the rest of it though was kind of a disaster. I think they might have been the only Final Four team I got, but they got to the final. I like Michigan this year. I like Beeline. He's a great coach, dude. He is a great tournament coach. Yeah, I put some money on them to win the the, the Big Ten tournament, and then uh, it was close, and then Michigan pulled away to beat them, Michigan State, and beat them for the yeah. third time this year. I mean, Michigan State's just a very good team, but I, I think Michigan yeah. can— gets yeah. team to play. He always does. But they're not great shooters either. But you're right about Duke, by the way. Duke is one of the worst outside shooting teams I've ever seen in my life for a number one seed. Yeah, they really are. They just cannot hit three-pointers. So if uh, a team is able to try and get them to shoot from the outside, could be right for the upset. I think that's what I would do. I don't know why other teams just, just pack in the zone and let them shoot. And if you win, they, Duke beats you. Look, Duke's going to beat you if you don't do it. So you might as well give him a chance to beat you that way. Yeah, it's just tough to stop uh, Williamson. I'm just, you know, the team that I really wanted at the beginning of the year, Adam, was Tennessee. I just don't know whether they can, they can win it all. I'm just not sure. But I like them. Yeah, I talked to someone who knows college basketball well, and they're high on Tennessee as well. Yeah. they got a lot of good players, and they got a really good coach. So, all right, let's take a look at Dr. Roto's Tout Wars head-to-head auction draft, Adam. I went with a, an opposite view with a lot of people, which I ter- tend to do. I'm a little contrarian. I paid way up for J- JT Real Muto and Wilson Contreras because the point differentiation between those catchers was like 250 points at some point. I know that's not a move that you normally make, but in a points league, can you get behind that at all? Um, maybe for Real Muto. Uh, Contreras does strike out quite a bit. Uh, it's a half there... a point per strikeout. Not one point, half point. Okay. Uh yeah, I guess as long as it doesn't take away from anything else, but it seemed like it left your outfield kind of thin. But that was actually my strategy. My strategy was to pay up at catcher and the infield and pitching and go with cheap outfielders who don't suck because I think there's value in the outfield. That the, what is the, At the end of the day, is there a big difference between Kevin Pillar and Corey Dickerson? Not really. 
Ah, oh, well, I don't, I don't know if that's the the guys I'd compare to. I mean, it's five dollars versus one, but I mean, Pilar is better in Roto for the balance that he gives. He's gonna near be the bottom of the lineup. I mean, I like Sousa, but he's a risk. I mean, you're counting on these guys to be parts of your team. No, they are. I mean, like I said, it, it was strategically. I had found that last year I went with the same idea, paid up for the infield, Goldschmidt, Scooter, Eugenio Suarez, Profar. I wanted to sink all my money into the, my infielders and then because I just thought that the Keplers and the Piscottis and, and Laurianos are all pretty similar. Maybe I'm wrong. I just studied the points, and that's what I came up with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these outfielders didn't go for much, though. That's the thing. I mean, Conforto for 17, Puig for 20. Uh, you know, Hanager 15, Dahl 14. I mean, these are guys that didn't really go for much. I thought that Ian Kahn did a great job in that in that outfield with Hanager and Dahl. Those are two guys that I really had wanted, and I, I don't know. Had I been there, I don't know whether it had been different. I, I don't know. I can't blame my, my friend, but I love those two buys. Yeah, fam for 14 too. With him, it's just staying healthy. He can obviously mash. So, Yelich uh, is obviously great in any format, but especially in a points league. So, yeah, that is a, a nice outfield for sure. I mean, and so, he, he spent on catching too with Sanchez did, yeah. 21 and Molina on seven. Well, it's, it's interesting to see people who had similar strategies. Ian had the same strategy with me at catcher, and Ryan Bloomfield had the same strategy at me at pitching because all of a sudden we were adding closers because we knew from the points that closers are valuable. So Bloomfield had Felipe Vasquez, Kimbrell, Jansen, Wade Davis, Brad Hand. That was the right strategy in this league. Yeah, it seems like it, and that's why it's very important to kind of read your rules, read the categories to understand uh, because every league is different, and especially in a points league, you really have to know uh, what the scoring format is and take advantage of it, because I'm pretty sure there were probably some people in this room who didn't really look at it or break it down. Right. No, I mean, look, I analyzed it as many ways as I could, to be quite honest with you, by myself, with my friend, and, you know, just going over it. And it, it, this is what it spoke to us. But you're right. I think people just go in there and they say, oh, yeah, I know, I know stuff. I know my, how to draft leagues. But this is as strange a league as I've seen because there's some teams. I mean, Dan Stratford, Paxson, Strasburg, Pavetta, Clevenger, Wheeler, Gray, Vizcaino, Will Smith, Yavaldi, he has no closers. He's in big trouble because starters can kill you in this league. Bad start can kill you. Well, you know, the problem is, though, if everyone has the same strategy, it's not going to work. So, right. you know, maybe he saw and said, all right, well, if they're going to give the pitchers for cheap, I'll just go in that direction. Because obviously these are pitchers that are way undervalued for a typical league. I mean, Clevenger 15, Wheeler 12, uh, you know, Paxton 15, Strasburg 15, Pavetta 7. That just doesn't happen. So maybe he said, you know what? I see everyone else is kind of doing that. So let me go in a different direction and I'll just hope that you know, several of these pitchers have big years. Well, the crazy thing is, is that they made it that it's minus five for a loss. So at the end of the year, if you go 14 and 10, you're only up 20, you're only up 20 points because there's five points for a win too. So your net is only 20 points. Yeah. I don't, since it's head to head and weekly, I don't, I don't think you could look at the cumulative total. Are you sure? Yeah, because you're not playing, the, you're not playing roto, you're playing weekly. Right, but what I was, what I did was I added up the points that for a guy, and then I divided it by twenty-two. So I said that this pitcher was worth six point seven points a week, right? That that's how I looked at it, and I added up my pitching staff, and I determined that 
for the most part, it would be about 50 to 60 points a week for my pitchers. I mean, you still have to still have to fill nine slots, though. No, no, I understand. Right, right. But my point is, is that if I had a good week in pitching, I'd put up 60 points. If I had a bad week in pitching, I'd put up like 44. The only difference there is 16 points. We're hitting. There's a much more of a difference, if that makes sense, right? Because there's 14 guys. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I know it sounds very confusing. I feel badly because people who are listening to our show, when they hear Zach Wheeler going for $12, let me tell you something, people out there. Zach Wheeler's worth $22. That guy's been on fire this spring, and I love him this year, Adam. Yeah, I got him for 20 in the NFBC auction. I was actually surprised. I know in one of the other NFBC auctions over the weekend, I think Chris Vaccaro paid $27 for him. So. It just goes to show like every auction is different because people will look at the draft board and say, oh, well, what are these guys going for? And then you go into a different auction, then all of a sudden the pitching gets pushed up and it's not representative of what you're going to see in your room. So, you know, I got Chris Paddock on Thursday night in that auction for $2. Yesterday, he went for wow. 9 Wow. By the way, the king in the uh, Tout Wars mixed auction got Wheeler for 22 It's a good buy. I would have paid 22 for it. Yeah, I think uh, I was happy to get him at 20. Uh, once the bidding stopped and I got him at 20, I was pretty pretty happy about that. He obviously had a very good year last year, dominant second half, and has been healthy so far this spring. All right, I'm looking at the Tout Wars mixed auction draft here. Max Scherzer went for 40. Is that about right to you, or is that too high, too low? What's your thoughts? No, that's right. It's not something I want to do, but you know, if you really want him, that's generally what he goes for, uh, around forty dollars. And I think that's what he went for in my auction yesterday, or maybe forty-one, forty-two, something like that. So he usually goes in that range. Now you may not remember this, but Tim Heaney bid twenty-three dollars on Walker Bueller. So my question to you is: Did he bid the same on him on Thursday night? Don't remember. I don't even know if he got him. See, that's something that I always like to look at. Like, did a guy go in, did Tim, who was in two different drafts over the weekend, did he go in wanting Walker Bueller everywhere, and was he willing to pay a certain amount for him? I always like to see that, whether people go in and, you know, sometimes you just want a guy at him. Do you ever feel that way? Like, is there a guy that you just got all weekend long? Uh, I did get Mike Clevenger in both, and... I think I did I get him in tout? No, I did not get him in tout because I went Carrasco and then I waited on pitching. So uh, I do like Clevenger and it just happened. What'd you to work spend? Out. Van Riper spent twenty. What'd you spend? I think yesterday was twenty five. Okay, I, I have no problem with that. And I think on and then twenty three on Thursday. So twenty is a pretty good deal here then. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I do, I do too. Well, it's you know, it's interesting. You look at the values. You just don't know when did a guy's name get called up, how much was he worth. You can kind of tell in the beginning, you know, where guys bid up. It's, it's, you know, it's much harder to go over somebody's team in an auction because the numbers sometimes look inflated and you just don't know, you know? Yeah, because like in the Thursday draft, Chris Paddock, I saw him and he was sitting out there. I'm like, man, I'm not going to bring him up yet because there's still people with money on the table. So he came out at the end, and someone said one, and I went two, and no one could go higher, and I got him. And then Ian Ian was like, damn, I was hoping to get him in the reserve round because he had the first pick. I was like, he wasn't going to make it there, you know? (laughs) But I think, you know, he's sitting there hoping, like, oh, damn, he hasn't been called. Maybe people don't realize it. But so, yeah, I I was stunned because I think we had discussed it last week and thought he would go for six, six, seven. And then yesterday he came out earlier in the NFBC auction, and we knew that – 
the price would be higher. That's why, like, some of those guys, you don't want to call them out too early because people have money to spend, and they're going to spend on them. I called Paddock out and, and, and tout, and he went for five bucks. But I, I know I was, like, at three or four, but I, I figured at three I liked him. At five, I, I really wasn't going to bid on him. Yeah, but in that format, too, when you see that pitching is getting devalued, you know that you should be able to get him for cheap. That's a guy that probably should have won for 2-3 in that format since pitching right. was devalued across the board. But he's a hype guy that has pitched real well. People love the young players, and he's had a great spring. And there's a good chance that he potentially starts with them opening day. Well, that's why I took Luzardo for 3 bucks, and I took Forrest Whitley for $2. I just tried to get guys who I thought had good arms for $2. I was kind of surprised. Josh James I love, especially guys on good teams because you get five points for every win. The problem with doing that in a head-to-head is, you know, now the first few weeks you're going to have guys that are not pitching at all. That's the only issue with that. You know, in a Roto League where it's weekly and you have seven reserve spots, sure, you can, you know, do one or two spots. But when you're in a head-to-head and you're making the daily changes, it's really tough to roster a lot of those guys because you're giving up spots for the first couple weeks potentially. Well, so long as I can stay injury-free, I can do it. But the second no I have an stays, injury. No one stays injury-free. I know. I know. I mean, how long do you think Luzardo goes down to the minors for? I don't think he should be there long because week, I think he's weeks? their best pitcher. Uh, By maybe, far. Maybe two, three weeks, uh, you know. But he should be up. I mean, I, I took him in the great fantasy baseball invitational, so I'm hoping that he's up pretty early. He's a great – he's their best pitcher by far, Adam. Yeah, he's got dynamic stuff. And, uh, yes, the innings are going to be a concern, but he should be great when he's on the mound. Yeah. All right, we're continuing to talk fantasy baseball from Tower Wars, head-to-head draft, mix auction draft. We have a lot to discuss. And, of course, our March Madness draft. We're Scout Fantasy Sports, and we're back right after this. If you've heard of WeatherTech floor liners, you probably know that for your vehicle's floor, nothing protects better. But what about protection for the rest of your car or truck? I'm David McNeil, founder of WeatherTech. Besides our floor liners, we design, engineer, and manufacture a wide range of automotive accessories right here in America. And just like our floor liners, everything is done to the highest standards possible. We understand what kind of investment owning a vehicle can be. So we do everything possible to help you protect it. We don't take shortcuts, and we never make concessions when it comes to quality. For everything from cargo liners to cleaning and detailing supplies to mud flaps and car covers, the one place you need to go is WeatherTech.com. So if you are familiar with our floor liners, just imagine how well the rest of our products will work for you. Learn more about our full line of automotive accessories at WeatherTech.com or call 1-800-CARMATS, WeatherTech.com. Proudly made in America. Maurice Allen, 2015-2016 European Long Drive Tour Champion, 2017 World Number One. Me personally, I keep my game face on me all the time. Especially coming out of the bunker, leaving the range, or even leaving the course. What's your story? Go to GameFaceGrooming.com for all your athletic facial wipes and body cleansing needs. 
The morning after. There'll be upsets, man, in the early rounds, but I'm just saying, ultimately, I mean, we could have a Gonzaga Duke Final Four, as you mentioned, North Carolina, Virginia. The ACC could ambush this thing and take it over. You gotta believe they'll, you know, who's gonna stumble between Duke, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Virginia? I'm looking at you, Virginia, just because of the track record. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. All right, Adam, while you're fixated on your college basketball brackets, NFL teams are focusing on the 2019 NFL Draft. And for serious fantasy football players, it's never too early to start prepping for the 2019 season. Roto Experts has you covered with their NFL 365 fantasy football package, including the best math-based seasonal projections and rankings available anywhere on the Internet. Davis Maddock and the Roto Experts are providing dynasty, season-long betting, best ball, and NFL draft content every day of the year to give you an edge regardless of what type of fantasy football you play. Save 10% at rotoexperts.com with promo code FNTSY. That's 10% off with promo code FNTSY. It's the NFL 365 Fantasy Football Package only at rotoexperts.com. So, Ronas, I just saw this here. It's trending on Twitter. Unreal. Jeff Passan writes... uh, Carlos Santana was so livid that his Phillies teammates played Fortnite during games in 2018 that he grabbed a bat and smashed a TV. I love that. I want to. My, my son plays it. Literally, he's going to play it all week on spring break. I, I threaten to smash it every night too. Yeah, I mean, look, I, if you're in the clubhouse, you know, you should be focused on the game. And I think the Phillies were in contention, I believe, in September. So. I would be upset too. You know, it's basically the workplace. You have all the time in the world when you go home uh, early in the morning before games to do that stuff. And I don't blame Santana because you should be worrying about winning baseball games that day. So it's not to say you can't have fun, but there's a time and a place for everything. And this is a guy that cares about winning, obviously, and wanted his teammates to do the same. And uh, again, I've heard, a lot of interesting stories. You know, a lot of people think that everyone gets along in clubhouses, and it's not true. I think the clubhouse is just like the workplace where there are people that just don't get along and there's no chemistry between them. Uh, it's obviously a little bit more difficult in a baseball clubhouse, or especially baseball, where you're basically with those guys pretty much every day for seven months because you got spring training and – traveling and yeah you don't have to be buddy buddy and talk to everyone but i don't blame santana at all uh if he felt like a lot of these guys were just too distracted and doing other things and not committed to you know instead of doing that you know go over some scouting reports watch some video to get better i mean so uh, it sucks it sucks for santana that he had to kind of deal with that obviously he's not there anymore but uh i can't blame the guy well you know two i'll have two comments one is I was in a fraternity in college, Adam. And I guess, let's just say there were 75 guys in my house. Maybe there's a few more, a few less. And I used to tell all the incoming pledges, I'm going to tell you something very simple. Not everybody here is you're going to be best friends with. There's 75 guys, maybe 25 guys you're going to be best friends with. 25 guys you may not even like that much. And then 50 guys are going to be okay. 
that's just life. You can't go in there and I think I have 75 best friends. And I feel that way about a clubhouse of, of, of sports as well. Just because we're all on the same team, we're teammates, but that doesn't mean we like each other. It means we just put up with each other. You know, we haven't chosen each other. We've, you know, uh, our general manager put us together. But Santana here says, I see a couple of players, I don't want to say names, they play video games during the game. We come and lose too many games and I feel like they weren't worried about it. Weren't respecting their teammates or coaches or their staff or the front office. But I'm angry because I want to make it good. Look, you want to play Fortnite, that's fine. And I say to my home, my son, do your homework, then you can play Fortnite. But these guys are playing during the game. That's unforgivable. That's like that whole fried chicken and beer. What was that in the years ago with the Red Sox and the Mets? You can't do stuff like that during the games. No, you can't. You know, it's it's your job, and you should always be looking to get better. And you know, you can pick up a lot of stuff just watching the game. I mean, if you're a hitter, watch the pitcher on the mound. Look at his tendencies. Can you see if he's tipping pitches? You know, timing. If you're seeing when you can get a good jump, you can learn so much just sitting there and watching the game. And instead, you're playing Fortnite. To me, it's unacceptable. And I know the competitor that I am, if I was in the clubhouse and I saw that, it would piss me off too because you have to be dedicated to your job and your craft, especially when you're an athlete and a baseball player, because you can always get better. Even the best Hall of Fame players can always improve. This is a game where if you get one hit and three at-bats, that's considered a success. So no one has mastered the craft. And to be in there and watch and playing video games during a game, especially in September when you still have a shot to make the playoffs, it's you can't have that. And to me, that... That uh, makes a losing culture. It really does. I believe in a lot of that stuff, and I've seen it in workplaces where you know, people don't work hard and get away with stuff. It creates a losing culture, a losing atmosphere. You're not going to have success if you have a lot of people in your workplace who are doing that, and it comes from management, letting people get away with that. You know, If you let people get away with things, they will. They'll take advantage. They're like, oh, I don't have to do this. You know, I'm getting by. And I think ultimately that creates a losing atmosphere. Not that the teams that win have the greatest chemistry, but there are certain things that you just can't get away with. And you think Tom Brady would have any of that stuff, Bill Belichick? No. And there's a reason why that team is successful every year because you have to have a certain attitude in the way you go about things for that team. And you see it. There are guys who come there and be like, damn, I didn't realize that practice started and do that because other teams don't go about it the same way. And that's why those teams don't have success. Well, this guy on Twitter is pretty funny. This guy writes, I'm surprised that Carlos Santana actually hit the TV they were playing Fortnite on and didn't just try to draw a walk. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. No, he's right. I mean, I think that, uh, look, I give him credit for doing this because I think most people wouldn't. And this is a veteran. And I think that it's funny that maybe Santana at 24 wouldn't have done this, but Santana at 32 would. And I think I told you the story, Adam. Uh, my friend was very tight with Jeter, right? I told you that he was in Jeter's inner circle. But do you know who the most powerful guy in the Yankee clubhouse was for years? A guy named Charlie Hayes. Charlie Hayes was a veteran third baseman. All the young guys looked to Charlie Hayes uh, for, for everything. And I think of Santana, you know, they don't put up, these veterans don't put up with crap because they know what it's like. Yeah, and I think you're seeing it right now with Kyrie Irving. If you remember, he was kind of critical of LeBron James and wanted to leave. And then just a few weeks ago, he apologized because now he knows what LeBron is going through with the Celtics and some of those young players. And he's asked to be the leader and he sees how difficult it is. And he apologized. He said, you know, I was wrong. I see what LeBron was going through 
And it happens. Like when you're young and you think you know everything and you haven't been through things. You don't have the experience factor. And, you know, the young players now and young people are saying, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I know. And then you see it as you get older and experience life. You're like, okay, now I see what my parents were talking about. Now I see what my older brother or older friend was talking about. And Kyrie Irving just went through that. He sees what LeBron had to go through and how he was towards LeBron. And now he's getting that treatment from the young guys. And he sees how difficult it can be to be a leader. Now, it's very interesting here. Todd Zalecki writes on Twitter and Zalecki covers the, the Phillies. Rice Hoskins and Jake Arrieta said they weren't aware teammates played Fortnite during games last season, but they acknowledged that Santana bashed a couple of TVs with a bat because of it. Seriously? How does Santana know when these guys don't? Or is it that they're still on the Phillies and they don't want to call anybody out for it? Uh, that could be it. Yeah, they probably don't want to throw a teammate under the bus. Right, but you know the truth is other guys knew. And Gabe Kapler, there's no way Gabe Kapler doesn't know. There's no way. Uh, I mean, I don't know. He, you don't think the manager knows? The, the managers are not in that locker room as much as you think. They have their own office. I, I just find it hard to believe that he wouldn't know. Unless someone came and told him and said, hey, oh, here we go. Arietta also acknowledged that Santana did, in fact, smash a TV after the third to last game of the season. But according to Arietta, it happened late at night, well, after everybody had left. Arietta also says he wishes Santana had come to him to discuss it. Well, I mean, maybe that's true, too. Maybe he should have come to, you know, they should have had a team-only meeting. And maybe the truth is, a third to the last game of the season, there's frustration at the end. Maybe that could have come up at a, at a players-only meeting, you know, two months earlier. Or maybe he did say something for a couple times and they didn't listen. And then he just got frustrated. I mean, who knows? I mean, you hear these stories come out afterwards. You really don't know all the details. And especially if Santana was still with the Phillies, you probably wouldn't even hear this. Well, that's, that's probably true. It, you know, it's funny. Uh, Santana was a, a very big part of, of Friday night because I love him in a points league. And I said to my friend, get, get him. And then all of a sudden, he's like, we got him. I go, how much? He goes, 20. I'm like, 20? I, I wanted to spend like 10 or 15 on him. But he was like, you said get him. So it was a, a minor uh, discussion here. What do you, I mean, is it because Santana just doesn't strike out much and he gets a lot of walks? Because he, he was a very popular guy in a points league. Yeah, and he wasn't on OVP too. He really jumped in the OVP format. It's because he does draw walks and he gets on base. He's usually a 360, 370 OVP guy. And he just helps across the board. I know he didn't have the greatest year last year, but he's pretty durable, plays every day, and uh, just solid numbers across the board. And generally, you don't have to pay much for him. But in the OVP format and the points leagues, people are aware of how the value jumps. And uh, you do got to pay for him a little bit more, I think, in the mixed league. He went for 20 and tout. 20. 20. Yeah, and in my draft, too, I think he went in the sixth, seventh round. I mean, he had more walks than strikeouts last year so in the average leagues he doesn't play as well he had 229 last year 259 in the two previous years but his OVP is always in the 350 to 360 range and you usually guys like that you know go pretty early in drafts and even last year for as, as down a year it was he still gave you 24 86 82 runs and again he stays healthy 161 games last year 154 158 154 so a guy that's been pretty durable and yeah, not the most flashiest player, but gets on base. I'm looking here at the mixed auction there, and Tim Heaney gets Fernando Tatis with the first pick in the reserve round. Are you surprised that a guy like Tatis wasn't drafted at the auction? A little bit, but again, it might be the head-to-head -head factor because... No, no, this is in the mixed auction regular tout. 
Oh, this wasn't um, head to head. Not really. He went in the reserve round of my auction on Thursday too. Actually, I almost took him, and I did not because I felt like I think I had. I decided to go with a pitcher because. I think I had a pitcher that might not start the year with the team or something, so I felt like I needed to go with a pitcher in that reserve round, and uh, I debated whether to go with Tatis or not. But you know, I, I think the Philly, I mean, the Padres are going to be aggressive. If the, the Machado signing to me says, okay, you know what, let's see if we can compete, and I think we will see Tatis early. It might be a month, maybe two months, but I, I think if he hits in the minor leagues, I think he could be up. No, I, I do too. I think it's also going to be predicated on how close the Padres feel they are to competing. If they can compete, I think they're going to bring him up sooner than later. I think if April's a rough month, maybe he doesn't come up. But if April, they look good, he may be up in May 1. Yeah, I think there's a good shot that he is up pretty early if he continues to go down there and mash. And his season got cut short last year a little bit because of an injury. Adam, if you go to the mixed auction results for Tout, take a look at the Kings team. The King went for Arenado at $39, Aaron Judge for $46, Benintendi for $33. But he got a lot of $1 players there. He got one, two, three, four, five, six $1 players, and then tons of $1 pitchers. Man, is that too much stars and scrubs there? Is that something? Because I just look at that and, you know, I like getting Judge. I like getting Arenado. But, man, that's a tough way to win a league. Yeah, I think it's getting the right $1 players. And, you know, Carmargo, not playing every day. Uh, Brian Anderson, not very not very good. Margot, he might not play every day. It doesn't seem like it, at least for now. I think it looks like he's the odd guy out there, even though I think he has a good skill set. So, yeah, a lot of these guys, that that's the problem is, uh, you know, in a mixed league, you need everyone to get at-bats. This isn't an AL or NL only where you're going to have a couple holes and guys might not play every day. You can't have too many guys that are going to be bench players uh, in this format. So that, that's the issue there. So are you saying that if you had the perfect $1 guys, it might be able to work, but nothing, but that's about it? Yeah, I think, you know, you can have a few. It's not something I do. I do think you can go heavy stars in a mixed league because there's always players that you can find. But, you know, I don't want to have too many guys that are bench guys in my starting lineup. I think that's a problem because you're going to fall behind in counting stats. Right. I just look at it as a big zero, right? I worry. I don't, I don't want a big zero. And, you know, I look at Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler went with stars and scrubs, but he didn't leave himself a dollar. He left himself with like three or $3, and he was able to get better players, which I think, you know, you get Jay Bruce, you get Corey Dickerson, you spend $3, you're better off than, than getting Brian Anderson and Camargo. Yeah, Bruce at $3 is a nice buy. I think he bounces back this year. This guy, when he's healthy, has always been a 30-homer guy, and he just was hurt last year. And he has the corner infield eligibility outfield, so you can move him around. So that one is definitely a good one. Cattell Marte, I think he is going to play a lot. I know they brought in Adam Jones, but he'll play some center. They could play him at second base a little bit. Uh, it seems like they said he's still primarily going to play a lot of the outfield. So he might just become more of a utility guy that they just move around. Right. No, no. I, I think Marte will end up. What do you think? Maybe two or three games in the outfield, two or three games in the infield. I say he plays six days a week just in different positions, and I think he's going to be super valuable. He's, it's one of my regrets that I didn't get. I wanted Marte. I wanted Marwin Gonzalez. I wanted Kiki Hernandez. I wanted Estrubal Cabrera, Adam. I didn't get any of these guys, which tells me that this was a very astute league. Yeah, you know, especially in the daily league, when you have those guys that have the eligibility at multiple positions, then – 
it definitely helps the flexibility uh, where you can move guys around. But this is a weekly league. Right, but still, I mean, because what I wanted to do was have extra pitchers and only have maybe one or two reserve hitters and just have one or two guys who could be fungible and move around as I needed. That was the goal. Yeah, it helps to have that flexibility. It's always good to get one or two of those guys at a reasonable price. All right, so once again, guys, I want to remind you about PlayFFWC.com, our March Madness Draft Contest. And if you go there right now, you can sign up. And if you win, you get uh, you know a free month of season-long membership at Scout Fantasy Sports or a free week of DFS at Scout DFS or a weekend of Vegas Whispers sports betting advice. So a lot of things to do, a lot of great ways to sign up. We'll be drafting literally round the clock between today through Wednesday night, Adam. I think here it's already like... I don't know, 10, 15 drafts already up. Yeah, there's been several that have been done, and there's plenty more today if you want to jump in. You know, it's not too late. You got to next few days, there's a draft coming up at 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Eastern. There's a slow draft with a two-hour timer. So uh, four-team league. So jump in now. It's free, and you can win some good prizes. Are you a big college basketball guy or just this time of year? No, I, I like college basketball. I don't get to watch it as much as I want because I'm watching a lot more NBA since I'm playing DFS. But, yeah, I do like college basketball. And, obviously, Thursday is a great day when it kicks off with uh, basketball all day, same on Friday. So, yeah, this is a good week, and it's later than usual, too. That's what's so it odd. It is. It's much later. I love this. This is my favorite weekend of the year. It really is. Just the upsets. And, you know, my wife uh, went to Colgate and they played Tennessee first round. I'm like, maybe they win. You never know. But I mean, I, they have no, in my mind, they have no chance, but how cool is it when a a team like that gets a shot to play a big school? Yeah. We saw last year, the first 16 beating a one when Virginia going down and they got beat bad by 20 points. It's not like they got beat by a buzzer beater. They were dominated. That's another team that doesn't always shoot well for me. They Virginia never plays well in the tournament. Good defense. Good during the year, crappy during the tournament. Yeah, I don't. That's not a team you want to invest in heavily. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, who's coming up in hour number two, Adam? Uh, Matt Modica will join me at the top of the hour, and uh, Brian Ambo should be calling in my partner in the NFBC auction. All right, looking forward to that. All right, guys, this is Doctor Roto saying, "Be well and take care. Keep it, keep it right here for another hour." With Adam Ronis and Scout Fantasy Sports. Remember, all the best in fantasy baseball information, and we'll be back with you right after this.